Good. Thank you. It's great to see you. Glad that you're here. We're blessed that you're here and expecting that God is going to speak and just pour out his, his spirit upon us. So you guys doing well? How about some Broncos over the Patriots tomorrow, huh? That would be great. Please turn with me in your Bible to Romans 12. We're going to be looking at the first eight verses, Romans chapter 12, 1 through 8. Acts, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. God's heart is for men. And the reason that I say that is because when a church, when a home, when a society has been touched by God, there'll be men that have been transformed by the Lord. John the Baptist, when he was called by Christ, one of the things that was prophesied about his life is that he would take the hearts of a father and turn them back to the children and take children's hearts and turn them back to their fathers. When a man's life is altered by Jesus... When you're all in in a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's going to alter your heart in your key relationships. We've been praying a lot for this conference that God would meet us, that he would touch us, that he would transform us. I think we all agree that we're living in desperate times as a country, that we desire a move of God. And where does that move of God start? I believe it is in the house of God with the men of God. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask that he would speak in a powerful way this morning. Father, we thank you that you have created us to be men, and we pray we would understand what that means to follow hard after you, to pursue you, to go in deeper relationship with you, to be all in. We also know that there isn't going to be life change without the move of the Spirit, and so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be welcome here in our lives, that you'd be welcome here in this time, and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been an interesting week for us as a family. For those of you that don't know me, I have three uh, beautiful daughters, and I've got one son. He is the youngest. And about six weeks ago, my wife comes to me and says, I think that we need to get our daughters a hamster. And I'm not really an animal lover by any stretch of the imagination. I appreciate animals from a distance, but not in my home. Amen? But I had a moment of weakness, and it was a bit of a moment of weakness for my wife. She's not normally uh, pursuing pets either, and so I said, let's try this. And so we get a hamster, and his name is Tubba Tubba because he's a fat hamster. (laughs) He's this fat little guy. And it's Tuesday night, and Wednesday morning, I'm here at the church. We have our staff meeting, and I get this text from Amber that says, we've got mice in our walls. All I saw was dollar signs with that text. That's the only thing I saw. I'm thinking, how much does that cost to get mice out of your walls? And then a few minutes later, she texts back and she says, it's tubba tubba, the house is in a panic. And apparently he'd gotten out of his cage Tuesday night, he'd escaped. Those little turkeys are nocturnal and they go nuts at night and he'd jailbreak out of the cage and he crawled into the heater vent, and he was all in. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) He was all in. And we homeschool our kids, and so they're trying to do homeschool, and there's just this scurrying happening in the vents and all this noise. And of course, with daughters, they're 
emotional and crying over this, this pet. And this goes on into Wednesday. And now it's Thursday night. And we can hear him in the vent in the basement. And it's now about 9 o'clock at night. And the older two are getting ready for bed. And they go downstairs with my wife. My wife comes to me and she says, Eric, we got to cut the drywall and cut open this vent and get Tubba Tubba out. And everything inside of me was saying, no, we don't cut the drywall of the house, you know. But it came out a lot more calm. And I was like, I do not want to cut the drywall. And I kind of gave her the stewardship speech, you know, like it's a big part of our paycheck every month that goes to this mortgage. And this is really the only investment that we have. And I don't think it's good to be cutting a hole in the drywall and then to cut a hole in this vent. And I just don't want to do that. And then all three of them just start looking at me, giving me those eyes. So what did I do? I cut the drywall, chunk about like this, cut the vent. And I was convinced it wouldn't work. I was like, there's no way that this is going to work. But here comes this tubba tubba, this hamster. And immediately he sticks his head in the hole that I had cut and weasels his way out and plops into my wife's hands. And he was ready to come out. And what that caused in us as a family is we were all in. First it was the hamster who was all in in the vents. And then we were all in. The girls were praying, calling the grandparents, telling everybody in children's ministry. I mean, all the children's ministry workers knew about our hamster And then we rallied together as a family. And as Ed pointed out in the first session, being all in is more than performance. It's more than, okay, I'm going to make these commitments as a man. And, you know, I really do struggle in these areas. And so I'm going to perform its relationship. It's going deeper in relationship with the Lord. It's being committed to, to him. And that's what we find here in Romans chapter 12. I've entitled this message Engaged because we're engaged in our relationship with the Lord and it's manifest in three areas as we'll go through this text. I know for many this is a familiar section of scripture and I pray that God would bring it afresh to us in application. So join me in verse 1 of Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Paul uses this word besiege and it means to implore urgently to call to action. Paul is calling the church of Rome to take action. And he's besieging them. He's pleading with them. There's probably some image that comes to mind, whether it's a father who pleaded with you at some point in your life, or a coach that got into your face, or a a military officer, for those of you that have served our, our country in that way, where you've been besieged, you've been pleaded with. And here, in a spiritual sense, Paul is coming and he's saying, brothers in Christ, I want to urge you to action. I want to urge you to respond. And notice what he bases it on. He says, therefore, by the mercies of God. It's based on what God has done for us. So that takes us back to the first 11 chapters of Romans. I want to quickly run you through those 11 chapters is it starts with the depravity of our souls, the bad news. This is such a big deal to God and the Apostle Paul that three whole chapters, the first three chapters of Romans, is letting us know how much we need the grace of God. If we don't understand our depravity, we don't understand how far we've fallen, how much we have struggled, how much we do struggle, we don't understand the depth of God's grace. 
That leads to this conclusion, for all have sinned and fallen short of the, the glory of God. If you take time to go back and read those three chapters, you come to a very firm conclusion that, yes, I've fallen short of the glory of God. Many know Romans 3.23, but what's Romans 3.24? Being justified freely by His grace. That word freely means without a cause. There wasn't a cause in me that God said, there's something worthwhile in Eric that I should give him my grace. It's completely unearned and undeserved, unmerited favor. And the word justified is de declared righteous. This happens when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That day that you came to know Christ as your Savior. Men that just received Christ this morning, you were declared righteous by God. You don't perform. You don't do these things that are upon you as a man to earn that. That was the mercy of God. Sit in that for a few moments. Think about that for a few moments. A gift that was given to be declared righteous. God continues to describe his love for us, his mercy in these chapters. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That changed my life. That's what led me to Christ. When I had a hard heart towards Christ, God spoke to me, Eric, while you didn't want anything to do with me, I wanted everything to do with you. God pursued a relationship with you to the point of Christ being crucified before you did anything, before you ever came to a men's conference, before you ever wrote a tithe check, before you ever decided to lead in your home, before you ever decided to serve in the church. He died for you while you were at your worst. He demonstrated his love towards you while you're at your worst. This brings us to Romans 6. And Romans 6 deals with our flesh. Even though we've been justified, we still have our sinful nature. And Paul describes by the mercies of God that our old man was buried with Christ and risen in newness of life. The power for transformation. The power to have freedom from sin. To be a slave to righteousness. Speeding up into Romans chapter 8, I think one of the most glorious chapters in the Bible, one of the most famous verses in the Bible that says that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God's working in our lives. It may not feel like good, may not look like good, but for his glory, from his perspective, it is good. The end of Romans 8 tells us nothing, no thing can separate you from the love of God. I bet some of you came this morning thinking, you know, there's probably something that could separate me from God's love. I don't want to be here. I've struggled too much. I've fallen too far. Could God love me? Absolutely. Nothing separates you from the love of God. Then there's this turn in the book of Romans that can be confusing. It's chapters 9, 10, and 11. It focuses on the nation of Israel. And some Bible scholars have thought, well, what's wrong with Paul? Where, where did he go in this? Here he is defining justification and sanctification. And then he goes off to talk about the nation of Israel. It's where we see God's unconditional election. God chose Israel. He's not going to forsake Israel. And it gives us confidence as Gentiles. I'm assuming that most of us are not Jewish by our ethnicity. If God was faithful and his choice for the nation of Israel, he'll be faithful towards you, unconditional love, the mercies of God. Now, I know I've just described 11 verses, and I bet it probably has not impacted you very deeply, so I want you to think about your own life. I want you to think about your own experience with God's grace and his mercy, 
and him granting to you that unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor? What brought you to Christ? What favor of God has he shown you? Or you understand that you're the son of God. Man, if you miss this, if you don't understand this, if you don't focus on this, everything else is not going to matter in the rest of the session. It becomes performance. It becomes obligation. It becomes religion. Because what Paul is saying is this is a response to the grace of God. This is the active ingredient of God's grace in our lives that brings us to this place. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Meditate upon God's mercy. Meditate upon his grace and his goodness. It's a great discipline for us to get in the habit of doing. Moving on, in verse 1, it says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. If you're taking notes, this is the first thing, is engage in sacrifice. Engage in sacrifice. Being moved by God's mercy and his grace, this is what Paul and ultimately the Holy Spirit is besieging us to do as you present your body as a living sacrifice. The Old Testament is filled with imagery of sacrifice, as God asked that of the children of Israel, but each sacrifice was dead upon the altar. And Paul is using that imagery to now say, allow your life to be the sacrifice, a living sacrifice to God. This is an active sacrifice to the Lord. This is where we take our body, we take our person, we take who we are, internally and externally say, God, I'm going to put it upon your altar. And you've heard it said, and it's true, the problem with a living sacrifice is it can crawl off the altar. True? So here's my challenge for you this morning, men. I don't care if you were on the altar 20 years ago. Are you on the altar this morning? God got a hold of my life over 20 years ago now, and I got up on this altar. But that's not the issue this morning. It's am I on the altar this morning? Am I sacrificing and surrendering my life to Jesus Christ? Saying, God, I want to give my body to you. I want to give my heart to you. I want to give my mind to you. Now, let's be honest. Some days we do, some days we don't. Some months we do, some months we don't. Some seasons we do, some seasons we don't. And they say, God, I want my life to be moving in this direction where there's more days where I'm on your altar. Amen? Agreed? So it may look something like this. When we wake up in the morning, God, you're so good. Your mercies are new every morning. You've removed my sin. I'm your son. I'm your child. You're so kind to me. And I want to surrender fresh to you. God, I'm, I'm giving you my mind today. I want my thoughts to glorify you. God, I'm giving you my ears. I want what I choose to listen to to be honoring to you. Some things you don't get to choose to listen to. Some conversations that are forced upon you at work, you didn't necessarily choose that. But there's a lot of things that we put into our ears that's our choice. God, my words, I, I want my words to, to honor you. My words can be so destructive. God, I just give you my words today. I give you my heart today. I give you my love and my, my affection, these hands that you have given to me. One of the things I, I've noticed that's really interesting about hands is I have my dad's hands. If you've ever noticed, they're just kind of freaky. I mean, they're huge. They were great for basketball, but I've got like a web 
And when my son was born, right away, I noticed his hands, and he has my hands. The little guy has my hands. And then there's a friend of mine here at our church. His name's Dan Laro, and his dad's Rick Laro, and they're both a part of our church. And I shook both of their hands this week. I think it was the same day. It was Wednesday. Wednesday morning, I shook Dan's hand, and then Wednesday night, I shook Rick's hand, and I was like, that's the same hand. They got the same handshake. And if you are a father, and you look at your hands, and you look at the hands of your son, you maybe look at the hands of your daughter, and they don't look like your hands, but inevitably, what we do with our hands is going to impact our children. It's, this is practical. Paul's talking about the body here. This isn't just some ethereal idea of this philosophy of what it means to respond to God's grace. He's saying, do your hands glorify God? Men, are your hands on the altar of God? Is there anything this morning out of relationship with Jesus Christ where God's saying, I want to take this out of your hand? God, I'm giving you my hands today. I want my hands to to honor you. God, I'm giving you my feet today. I want my feet to take me places that are going to honor you. I want my actions to honor you. And it's, it's engage. We, we engage in sacrifice. We say, okay, Lord, today I'm going to place myself upon the altar. So important because when we're selfish and self-focused and we're serving ourselves, it's going to bring to destruction. Jesus said, if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. Make this part of your daily prayer life. Make this part of your daily expression of worship to God. Be all in in worship, all in in, in sacrifice. This the word sacrifice is intriguing to me. This means it's not easy. It doesn't come naturally. There's days we don't feel like it. There's days we do. It's a sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. The next line is which is your reasonable service. Some Bibles translate this as your reasonable act of worship. That's the idea here, is it's worship to God. God, you were all in for me. You love me. You died for me. You rose again. You're my father. So this is my worship to you. This is my desire to be in relationship with you. We go on. I'm going to run out of time, so we'll keep moving. And don't be conformed to this world. This is being pressed into the world's mold, conformed, pressed in. In what ways is the world trying to conform you into its image as a man? How are we being pressured to fit into the world's image? One of the ways is I think that there's this pressure to be like women, to be effeminate, to be passive, to not take leadership in our homes, Don't get the wrong idea. I'm not talking about this world's view of manhood, but even the biblical view of manhood, the world's trying to press that out of you and say you shouldn't be proud in a good way of the fact that that you're a man. Well, think about it in some ways in your own life that you feel like I'm being conformed into this world's image. There's a pressure to be selfish. There's a pressure to be unfaithful. There's a pressure to be passive. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The battle is won and lost in our mind. This word transformation, it's metamorphosis. It's what we long for in our lives, that God would transform us. 
a year from now, if Christ hasn't returned, that we would be more like Jesus Christ? Paul's being very practical again here. He's saying, every day, present your body to the Lord and then renew your mind. Man, do you ever just feel like your mind needs to be renewed? Your mind needs to be washed. Your mind needs to be scrubbed. You think of a cast iron pan or a stainless steel pan. and You've really got to scrub those pans. And our minds get that way. Your mind needs to be renewed. How do you renew your mind? You get into the Word of God. You take time with it. You meditate upon it. You write it down. You pray it through. You come and listen to messages with an attitude of, I need to be renewed. I'm going to take notes. I'm going to write things down. I'm going to listen to podcasts through the week. I'm going to put worship on that points me to the knowledge of God, but my mind is going to get renewed. Without some intentional effort, you're not going to find natural ways where your mind will be renewed. TV's not going to do that for you. Movie's not going to do that for you. You're going to have to make some choices to say, I need my mind to be renewed. If we want the transformation, we respond and say, God, I'm going to renew my mind. And this is the result, that you may prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. When you're a living sacrifice that's not being conformed to the world where you're renewing your mind, you know what God's will is. And you can prove it. It's a mathematical word. Remember in school when you did a mathematical equation and your teacher said, I want you to show me how you got the answer. That was the worst thing ever. I don't know how I got the answer. I'm just praising the Lord that I got the answer. You should be impressed too that I got the answer. And the teacher's like, no, you, I, want, I want you to prove it. You, didn't, you didn't, get the, didn't do it the right way. And so this is where someone could come to your life and they could say, why are you doing what you're doing? You say, well, I know this is the will of God and this is why. This is what the Lord has shown me in his word. The Lord's given me peace. If you're married, I think that your wife's waiting for this. She's longing for this. She wasn't created to be the leader of the home. She was created to, to follow you, to walk with you. So if we don't know what God's will is for our lives, we don't know what God's will is for our families, we don't know what God's will is for, for our children, and we've just turned all of that over to our wife, man, she'd be so blessed if we said, I'm going to be a living sacrifice, and I want to know what God's will is for our family. I want to know what God's will is for our marriage. I want to know what God's will is, what his plan is, where he wants us serving. You'll know what the will of God is for your life. The next thing to engage in, I think, is really applicable for us in, as men, and it's engage in humility. First, it's engage in sacrifice, and then engage in humility. Verse 3, it says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. The first thing that Paul says here is he says, grace given to me. So Paul's not coming saying, I've got this figured out. None among us have this figured out. None among us are, are perfect in any way. We're all struggling and desiring to grow together. Paul says, I've received grace. And then he says, out of this grace, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. This is pride, and pride leads to destruction. If you've been with us here at RMC over the last few weeks, we've been studying the life of Samson. And what makes great men weak? Samson was a great man, and what made him weak? One of those things was pride. What causes godly men that were 
used powerfully by the Lord all of a sudden to fall in such a tremendous way, it's pride. It slips in the back door of our lives and we start to think too much of ourselves. We forget the grace of God that has given to us. We stop realizing that we're a recipient of the gospel. We're a recipient of the grace of God continually. And so we need to engage in humility. Just like we engage in being a living sacrifice, we say, God, I want to embrace this thing that is called humility. Many times through scripture, God says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. As it is football season, and you think of some of these offensive linemen, I'm pretty sure if we had an offensive lineman here from the the Broncos, we could probably have Pastor Ed and I standing next to each other, and you would need four of us to equal one of the offensive linemen. But let's just say for the sake of illustration that I was going to go head-to-head with one of the offensive linemen of of the Denver Broncos. Terrible idea. (laughs) Absolute destruction. But how many times through pride do we put it where God is going to resist us? Do you want God to resist you? Do you want God to get across the line and say, you know what, okay, all right, son, I'm going to have to resist you on this because you're being prideful, because you're thinking too much of, of yourself. James tells us that every good and perfect gift, it comes from the Lord. Talent, intellect, job, material blessing, it's from the Lord. We didn't earn it or deserve it. If God gave us what we deserve, look out. So give God the glory for that. Don't think of yourself too highly. If you find yourself in that place, and we do, we struggle that, we battle with that, we reorient our thoughts. But I think the rest of the verse is important as well. It says, to think soberly. And soberly means honestly, accurately, not given to to excess. So you don't have to run yourself under the bus. Humility is not walking around the church saying, I'm just the worst person ever. If if you only knew, I'm the fire, I'm the coal for the fires of hell. I'd sure like to serve in the church, but I just don't have any, I don't have any ability. You're not thinking honestly, soberly, or accurately. It's okay to recognize the gifts that God is giving you while giving God the glory. Does that make sense? And so you have an honest view. You have an accurate view of strengths and and weaknesses. You're thinking correctly. You're thinking soberly. And I think this is the key when it comes to humility as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. This puts us in a place of humility, isn't it? That God found us. Jesus found us. Jesus saved us. So we're thinking of his work in our lives and we're glorifying the Lord for that. You're going to have opportunities. I'm going to have opportunities to find out how we're doing in humility. Family life, friendship, church life, things at work, it bumps us. Our pride is challenged. And how do we respond? How do you think of your fellow coworkers? Do you think of yourself as better than them? Are you the guy at work that has everything figured out, and you walk around going, hey, I own the market here because of maybe your success, maybe because of how long you've been there. Do you find yourself even this morning kind of sizing up everybody in the room and going, hey, I respect that guy over there. I don't know why, but but I respect him because there's something about him. And then you look at someone else and you go, you know, why doesn't that guy get 
get his life together? Why doesn't he get his act together and, and you put yourself above him? If we're honest, we're doing this all the time as men, aren't we? Sizing everybody up and we, we fit somewhere. And God says, no, don't think that way. The way you're supposed to think is to esteem others better than yourself and realizing that we've all received the grace of God. We engage in humility. I'm going to quickly go through these last few verses, four through eight, and it's engage in service. It's engage in service. And to me, all of chapter 12 describes being a living sacrifice. If you want to study this chapter in depth, it, it really gives us practical footsteps Practical steps to make in being a living sacrifice. In verse 4, For we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ, individual members of one another. What these verses tell us is the body of Christ is diverse, just like the human body. This is one of Paul's favorite analogies. To say the body of Christ is similar to the physical body, and the body is different, different parts. And you've heard it, we've heard it, you've maybe shared it. Is what good would the body be if it was all the same part? There would be no effectiveness. And so God has uniquely designed you, He saved you, and as He gets a hold of your life, as we become a living sacrifice, He causes us to have the awareness that I'm a part of the body. I'm an individual with individual gifts, but I fit in this together. And what makes for a healthy body of believers at an individual church and the body of Christ as a whole is when we realize I'm a part of the body and I want to use my gifts to serve the body and glorify Jesus Christ. But we have to understand and we have to stop trying to be somebody else. And I think this is difficult for us as men. I know it's something that I've sure struggled with and been challenged with as I've grown in my life, especially as a pastor. I started lead pastoring here when I was 27 years old, and if you go back and you listen to some of my old messages, they weren't my messages. You know, I was trying to be a bunch of older pastors that I really respected, and so I emulated them. And hey, there is a place to learn from others but you've got to make it your own and you've got to put it in your own personality. You can tell when someone's just trying to be someone else. Maybe you have a mentor, someone who's really invested you in the things of Christ and you're trying to be them. Or you really look up to a pastor and you say, well, in order for God to use my life, I guess I've got to teach the Bible. Or you say, you know, it's amazing how people go out on the mission field. I, I guess I've got to go out to a, a foreign country in order to be effective by God. No, you find out what God's call is for your life. You prove what the will of God is for your life. And you be yourself inside of the body of Christ. We're never going to be good at being someone else. But we can be really good at being ourselves. Amen? So verse 6, it describes these differing gifts. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Our ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who sows with cheerfulness. Last point is engage in service. Engage in service. Engage in serving the body of Christ in the gift that God has given you. 
Differing gifts. How do you know what your gift is? How do you respond to a particular situation? If there's something that happens, do you tend to immediately go to the heart of teaching and saying, you know, let's dissect this. And if you would have done this differently at this point, this is where things went wrong. This is what you need to do now. And this is where you go forward in the future. Then you probably have the gift of teaching. If a tragedy happens and you rush towards mercy, or you realize it's not a good time for teaching, and you want to extend understanding, you have the gift of mercy. If you look at a situation and you go, there's just an unmet need here, you have the gift of helps. If you kind of respond with this attitude of, you know what, I love you and I care about you, and you need to be exhorted to take the next step in your life, you have the gift of exhortation. Does that start to make sense? And you can probably look at different things in your life and you can go, oh yeah, I I do have this gift. I do have, I have that gift. Bottom line though, as you begin to serve other believers, you're going to discover what that gift is. You're going to go, wow, I'm good at this. I'm I'm terrible at that. But here's the important thing that I want to focus on right before we break for lunch is let us use them. Let us use them. Let us use them. There's always going to be something missing in my Christian life if I'm not connected with other believers with a commitment to serve them. And this looks different in everybody's life based on giftings and callings. But men, if you're a lone ranger this morning and you're not connected with other believers, you're not in relationship with other believers, you can't use these gifts. That's one of the detriments of being a lone ranger. You've got to be connected with other believers to use these gifts. And then saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to serve. And there's something that happens to my soul. There's something that happens to your soul where there's delight in serving. Jesus has said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. If you approach your church with an attitude of what can I receive from it, what can I consume, and you do your analysis like you do Target and Walmart, or Smash Burger or Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Chipotle or Quidoba, who's got the best espresso, the best worship team, which pastor is the best communicator, who has the nicest chairs, you know, how's the parking, children's ministry, youth ministry? Do they give me gifts for coming to the Christmas Eve service? Not necessarily anything wrong with that, but if that's your view of the body of Christ, you're always going to be disgruntled. You're always going to be disillusioned. And this is my challenge for you as men, is would you commit to serve the church of God? And it may be in meeting a need, as the differing churches are represented and your pastors get up and say, hey, we need ushers. We need Sunday school teachers. It may be in that capacity or it may be in a different capacity where it's not inside of the organized structure of what's happening in your church. It may be in your workplace where you know who the other believers are and you say, I want to serve them. I want to be connected to them. I know the believers in my, on my street. I want to edify them. This is much more than just fulfilling a need 
at a church, which is very important. I think that's wonderful. But it's a mindset of the way that we live our lives. So maybe I am teaching the second graders at, at my church. That's not the only time I'm serving the body of Christ. That's a time that I'm serving the body of Christ. It's a mindset change. And this is what I believe, guys, is the church needs you. The church needs you. One of the things that we believe and teach at Calvary Chapel is elders are to be men based out of 1 Timothy. I did a teaching on it recently. You can go to our website and look at that. But you know what that means if we teach that? As men, you've got to lead. Men, you've got to care about the church. Men, you've got to engage in service. You've got to realize that God has a call upon your life. And I don't know why it is, but historically, women seem to care a lot more about the church than we do. And to say, God, I want to be engaged in service. You've given me a gift, so I'm going to look to edify believers inside of my gift. And again, this isn't a heavy trip that's placed upon us, but it's the mercy of God. And I want to leave us where we began, the mercy of God. God loves you. He loves you more than I could ever communicate. The blood of Jesus has been poured out for us upon the cross. He saved us and forgave us, and so we engage with him in deeper relationship in sacrifice, in humility, and in service. And now we're going to engage in lunch. <laughs>